Hello and welcome back to This Is Our Story. You are here with your hosts, me, Kira McCallion, and my sister, Briar. Hello. Hi. Hello, hello, hello. We're into uh, episode four now of our story so far. I must confess it is getting easier. The first couple of episodes felt like a little bit of a slog, as was expected. I kind of feel like we may have uh, not quite hit the points that we wanted to in the very beginning, but um, it is getting much easier to uh, get through this and it uh, feels like it's flowing a lot more. Any reflections on your experience so far, Brian, in terms of, I mean, a lot of this stuff we haven't really talked about systematically together. Um, how has the experience been for you so far? Yeah, like you say, I think it's it's getting easier and obviously our memories are more vague from back then. So we've probably missed a few key things, but I think we may even uh, think about them later on and can jump back to it. But now we're getting into sort of some more heavy duty stuff of really what the foundations of who we are today. So, mm. Mm. yeah. And, and I, and these particular years that we're discussing, the teenage years were really instrumental as they are for every person, I'm sure. But this was the stage of life when things really were setting us up for the next chapters that were kind of where we experienced all of our, our trauma, because uh, it's tempting to come across like our, our upbringing was rough and it wasn't to, to make Definitely that clear. Wasn't. It really wasn't Definitely rough. Wasn't. And we're not here to moan about the way that our parents brought us up in general. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a little bit of moaning, but uh, everyone moans about their parents a little bit, right? <laughs> um, but it's more about, it's more about dissecting the way that they did things and the, and the, the context of where we were and, just kind of seeing how that directed the directions that oh directed the directions <laughs> uh, just to kind of talk about dissecting the direction that we ended up heading after we left home because that's when all the messy stuff really started happening that's when I started to get really fucked up it wasn't that I was messed up when I was a kid it's just that that set me up in a certain way to made me react to situations in a certain way and we were very naive I mean let's be honest <laughs> Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think life. in terms of like when we're talking about the way that we grew up, it was more about us being unaware of what mm. the real world was really like. And when you're young, no one is hu really aware of, of the world because generally we, we see things through innocent eyes as children and, and that's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, I can't really necessarily fault my parents or our parents on too many things. But we definitely missed out on some stuff that would have been really helpful. <laughs> um, and and the things we missed out on, which we kind of hit a little bit in the last episode, uh, relationships and things, were some of the key trigger points for a lot of the trauma that both you and I, mm -hmm. I don't want to exaggerate and use the word suffer, but there was definitely some suffering involved, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which we will delve into more deeply in future episodes. However, as pointed out in the last episode, we want to not always be doom and gloom, and we want to provide a chance to share some stories of perhaps lighter times, more fun times of uh, things that we did as a family or with friends or even just on our own. And the uh, the segment is called Story Time. Story Time, yes. Uh, I do love stories. <laughs> not heard that one before. <laughs> So the the last the last story time focused on pastimes and we had some uh, some uh, interesting things to share there about stories and stories that Bri used to make up with her with her friends and 
also that I used to make up with my friends as well. And also about kind of strolling around on the farm with a, an air rifle and shooting things with hopeless abandon. <laughs> <laughs> but this, this time around, we're going to actually briefly talk about, um, I don't know if you can hear it, some very loud kookaburras <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Give away of your location. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm in Australia, obviously. <laughs> We're going to talk about holidays uh, this time around, and I'm going to start off by talking about our family holidays in the South Islands. Now, we're actually really lucky in this respect that we got to explore New Zealand at all, because many families that I grew up with, um, in the far north especially, never got to see other parts of New Zealand. And indeed, people I know now still have not seen large parts of New Zealand, and I feel very grateful that we had an opportunity to to hit the road and uh, see some of the, the amazing sites that New Zealand has to offer. But we actually did two separate trips down to the South Island. And the, the, reason, the thing that actually set these off was that my best friend, who I had briefly, briefly mentioned a couple of episodes ago, we used to spend, oh, I can't remember how long we'd known each other for, but it was years. We spent a lot of time together. Anyway, he, he moved away. He moved down to a very small town called Fairley in Canterbury in the South Island of New Zealand. Pretty much, uh, I can't even really think of, I have no idea, I don't know much about Fairley. Maybe I could just there's, quickly look There's not up. a lot there. There's a school, there's a bakery, or back then anyway, it wasn't yeah, it's, there. It's, well, the population of Fairley, I mean, this may have changed, but in 2018 was 885 people. <laughs> yeah, and this, this was in the 90s that we were down there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it was small, very, very small. It's more like a village, really. Mm. And uh, so his his dad got a job as a principal at the high school down there. And so they packed up and left. And it was it was it was hard. Like, as I've talked about before, I didn't have many friends. And so to have this, my best friend all of a sudden leave, and it was quite sudden. And yeah, they, he got the job and they left quite soon after. It was heartbreaking, actually heartbreaking. <laughs> we used to do phone calls. I remember maybe a couple of times a week and, um, back in the days when we had landlines and I, and I remember phone. Philip used to ask you, what time is it there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was a bit of a character. So yeah, we we went to go and we went to go down and visit them. Um, and I have no memory of what year this was, but it would have been late nineties or early two thousands. Yeah, we were young teens, I think, like yep. early teens. Yeah, and uh, what did we do? We flew into Christchurch and then we drove across to um, to Fairley, which was kind of in the middle of Canterbury, and it was re- it's very isolated out there, very mm. isolated. And we basically hung out with them for must have been a week or so. Oh, it felt like so much longer. I don't know. I, I don't know. When, when you're a kid, right, everything feels mm. super, super long. But we so we went on two two trips, and I believe they were the year after each other. And it was our first time in the South Island, and I just remember it being so bloody cold mm. um, in April. Well, coming from snowing. the one year it was snowing. Um, mm. Some very clear memories of that time is so in New Zealand they had massive issues with rabbits back then like millions and millions of rabbits taking over the countryside and I very clearly remember um, the first the first trip you could almost see the hills move that's there were just so many rabbits there it looked like the the hills were moving that was around Lake Tikapur but I mean if you've ever been to the South Island of New Zealand it's just amazing it's incredible 
there's very few places on earth that are are, are as beautiful. So very, very lucky to see that mm. as a child. And in that, in that first trip together, we I have a vague recollection that we went on a, in a camper van. Was it a camper yeah. van? And we went up the west yeah. coast of New Zealand and we visited Franz Joseph Glacier. We went onto the glacier. That was pretty mm. awesome um, with our crampons and freezing yeah. our asses off. Um, I only wearing a like tracksuit. Yeah, well, I was thoroughly unprepared <laughs> for that. But it was what was crazy about that is that that was kind of the biggest trip that we ever did as a family. And I, to be honest, I don't think we've we haven't done family trips since then. Not not together oh. as a family. Yeah, I went uh, to Rarotonga, but yes, yeah, so, I mean we've done left. things separately. So I went on a trip mm. with mum and dad in, in the UK a few years back, but nothing with all of us together. Uh, so yeah, that was pretty awesome. And um, I don't can't really remember the difference between the first trip and the second trip except the second one the one i do remember is because it was quite controversial at the time in new zealand but they brought in this poison for the rabbits mm. what was it called i can't remember i can't remember anyway it was devastatingly effective and we came back the following year and there was just zero rabbits to be found and it's never been like that again yeah that's starting to get bad again actually because they've built up an immunity to that poison. Anyway, that's a I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that um, that that was the probably the coolest family holiday that we've done, um, or holidays I should say. I mean, we did have one other recurring holiday that we went to on a family, in which you're going to talk about, mm. bro. Yeah. So every summer we used to go camping at a place called Kaiwi Lakes, which was about oh, how far would that be? Maybe a couple of hours from where we lived, maybe yeah. two hours in, um, outside of Dargaville. And it's the most incredible place to go camping. Like if you can picture like beautiful old tall pine trees, like the whitest sand you've ever seen. And it's a natural lake. So over the years, it's just filled with rainwater. So it's crystal clear and such a deep lake and um incredibly like scary scary deep yeah like it would be beautiful clear water and then it would just drop off into nothingness and it was so dark like you'd try and dive down as far as you could and it was so dark you couldn't see anything yeah very scary um, a popular <laughs> yeah. spot so in it was I, I remember it was flat for maybe 50 meters right and then all of a sudden just would drop off into nothing yeah very popular in summer and we'd go for two weeks at a time every year, and we had a big tent, like a like a three bedroom tent, and we used to go with friends of ours from yeah the cooks. I guess we met at church, and they kind of became very close uh, friends, and they or basically like family because we didn't have we didn't spend a lot of time with our actual cousins who mm. lived not too far from us, which was mum's side of the family. And so all, of, all, of, all of dad's family were in Auckland, so and, yeah. and they never visited, basically. No. Um, so we spent a lot of time, and they just became, you know, like family. De, de facto so they, extended family. Yeah, and they were a big family of 11. They didn't all come with us because some of them were older and left home, but there was maybe four of their kids that used to come with us every year. So it was a, a big, a big deal. Like we'd go and put all our tents together and oh I just have such great memories of barbecuing you know sweet corn every night and 
complaining yeah. about who was going to be washing up in the bucket of hot water. And, and back then they didn't even have warm showers. It was cold showers. So you just have to sort of long drop toilets. Yeah. Grin and bear it. And so no, no flashing toilets, literally just a wooden frame. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then the, you sit on and then wait for the, <laughs> wait yeah. for the bombs to land. <laughs> <laughs> that part, not so great, but um, oh, it was just amazing. And, and the, our friends, they had a boat and they, they took water skis and a, and the, biscuit and we just have the best days of our lives out on the lake in the summertime yeah and, it's um, um very classic new zealand holiday mm-hmm. summer yeah, holiday actually um, i remember playing spotlights uh because i mean think about this for a second we had like a lot of rules at home and we we weren't allowed to stay up late we didn't really do anything fun so when we were away camping it was kind of like the mom and dad relaxed, just stopped they? yeah they mm. just kind of relaxed all the rules yeah <laughs> um <laughs> And it was we just kind of did whatever we wanted almost, but obviously we were super responsible anyway yeah, most yeah. of the time. So they could. But you know the parents, us. the parents, you know none of them drunk alcohol obviously. So but they would stay up late playing card games and laughing and joking, and we'd us kids would just go off and into the pine trees and look for possums in the trees and Play just spotlights. explore till yeah ridiculously late. So yeah, spotlight like um, what is it like hide and seek with a with a flashlight. Yeah. At night, yeah. And and then, you know, during the day you'd have afternoon naps in the sun. It was just the best. Like I, I have such a romantic memory of that time, the summer's well, campaign. I mean, it's awesome. everything about those memories is good. Uh, even, mm. you know, sometimes we make things look rosy when we look back, but I don't really think anything was bad about that. Those no. Times. And, and it was probably about five years in a row that I, or maybe four, that um, we did it. Well, I was at home, and then you continued when I left. Mm. But back. even even when you left home, you came back with your girlfriend at the time, and and she yeah. joined us on those trips. So, it was something that we, you know, really valued that time together as family and and with our our close family friends. So, yeah, definitely they're like core memories for me. I don't know about you, but they're definitely core yeah. memories for me. Yeah, it was, and um, we we're super lucky mm. to have that, and it was great to have that because it did feel like a family experience with the cooks. Mm. And um, it wasn't just this that we would do with them, right? So I remember we had a lot of our core memories of things on the on on farms where with mm. them, you know, going and um, milking the cows, and milking the cows, and and just kind of doing all sorts of dirty shit on the farm, mm. getting dragged behind a, a, a four wheel motorbike. On... <laughs> Sorry, that was an emergency alert that just came up on my phone. <laughs> Was that like some kind of storm warning or something? <laughs> no, it was. It's a. It's a test. Oh. <laughs> they did tell us on the TV that that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that shit never happens here. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we were you know really tight with the cooks, and even even now, like, mum and mum and dad are still are still close with um, the family. But yeah, I guess if we want to like segue from that into, I guess talking about the church experience and the youth experience as being quite family orientated uh, because it was such a small community. A lot of those people that we knew from that time did become like de facto family members. Um, and some of my, and some of my closest friends, well, no, some, all of my closest friends were a part of that church and a part of that youth group as well. And um, there was one, so one family in particular for me, I became very close with the with the guy. He was a year or so older than me. We became very tight, and we we did a lot of things 
together and incidentally it was his his sister that I ended up having a big crush on which I <laughs> um, <laughs> referred to a, a very briefly uh, in the last episode that was probably the only time where it kind of there was a confusing boundary between the family and not family. But, you know, a lot of these people that were in church and in youth group and stuff, we spent so much time with them, not only during services or youth-related things, but just throughout the week or, you know, church stuff outside of the church building, so to speak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the specific things that we did as a youth group, though, because I think they were quite was quite interesting and um i wanted to discuss um the the missions that we used to go on and um so the basically the idea was and i think this i was trying to think about this today actually about how this evolved because we had a a youth group come, come and do a some kind of outreach event at our church and i can't remember this may have been a year or so before before i left um to go to uni but they were visiting from tauranga and uh, coincidentally, this is a church that I ended up being a part of, but they came along and had a big outreach event and the music was great and they had dances and they had plays and they were all very exciting with a, a, a it was basically a, just a bunch of you, young people having a lot of fun. And that was really impacting on me because it just looked cool and it sounded cool and the people were very cool. Too cool for me, I felt at the time, like I couldn't quite fit in. I really wanted to meet these people and chat with them but they were so they were there for a few days i think and they i think they stayed in the church or well, i feel like they got billeted out to families yeah i don't quite remember the details of that but i remember trying to get to know them and then not quite fitting in but really wanting to but yeah the like the the girls were pretty the the singers were great the the musicians were amazing and i was like this is really what what mm going to church should be like <laughs> mm. and that that's quite important to, for my journey because that's basically what I looked for every time it, I tried to find it was a very much about the image though that church wasn't it you know oh yeah to, to draw you in which yeah absolutely I mean that was the whole idea it was outreach it wanted to be mm. they were trying to be exciting to bring people in and, and then save them basically that's mm. the, the whole idea of being in a church like that mm. uh, anyway I think we may have taken the idea from these guys and we wanted to do our own outreach um, with our youth. And we had a core group of, of youth who were involved in music and just youth activities. And so we decided to do this outreach tour. And did were you a part of this? I can't remember. Uh, I was a part of a few, but I can't remember. Because th this was, was one of the more fun things that I was involved with. And I don't think I really took it seriously because it was just fun. <laughs> mm. But we went to a bunch of local churches uh, in the far north, like around Whangarei, and I don't remember how far south we went. But I know we went to Ruakaka. Yeah, and as a and as a group of people, with. musicians and stuff, we were we weren't great. <laughs> <laughs> I okay, and I say this without 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 judgment or without sounding or attempting to not sound um, up myself but I did often get compliments for my drumming and I, I I was I was pretty good if I'm honest for my age <laughs> but a lot of the other things that the music that we did was was quality was questionable <laughs> 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 um, 
but I remember like we would do these events and we would do do all these songs and then just no one would be there. There'd be like five people. <laughs> oh, cringe. <laughs> it's so cringy. <laughs> we would do so much practice, so much preparation oh. for this. Oh, man. And, um, <laughs> and then just no one would show up because we'd be visiting these tiny churches in the middle of nowhere. What do we expect? Like probably like 50 people who live in these, these little towns. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> I don't know what what we were hoping for, but we believed it was time for revival and, you know, we would have these prayer meetings, get very excited about God doing a move in this little town. And then it'd be just, we would, like I kid you not, every single time we outnumbered the people who who came to visit. (laughs) Well, there was quite a few of us. surprise, really. I mean, we had a great time because it was just, it was like going on a, on a, a fun trip with your friends and uh, anyway, it was quite a, quite an inclusive group so we, I think um, the youth pastor tried to include as many people as possible but yeah no that I very clear memories of, of that <laughs> yeah. you you weren't I don't know if you if you came along to any of those uh, I definitely did but I don't remember if that was later on like after you'd left or if you were there I definitely went to quite a few. Yeah, I definitely remember going to one in Brokaka and yeah, a few around the mm. North Island. But yeah, I can't remember if you were part of that. And I also felt like I was, you know, I didn't have any particular talent. I couldn't really sing. I couldn't dance. I couldn't, there's a lot of stuff I couldn't do. <laughs> but I was there. I was participating. I was, I was a number. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that was the whole thing in church, I think, is just being involved was at least for these smaller churches you know the the importance was placed on just being involved when i went to bigger churches it was more about being good at what you did and being excellent and if you weren't an excellent musician you would be kind of pushed aside into a different area like being a welcomer or something and and that there's there was a different hierarchical type system of of talent in, in bigger churches but for us you know we were just a tiny church where just having people there was was important, mm. but like a just a, a specific a specific experience which I was just relating to you before was um, not in, in not connected with these trips, but just there were a core group of us in in the youth group at the time um, who were a, bit, a little bit older, had been around a longer while, and the youth pastor wanted to kind of invest in us a little bit more and. It was decided that we would have this kind of special cell group just for us, and we were kind of considered senior leaders almost, or well, not leaders as such, but just senior members. We didn't get any title or anything, um, although I felt very important to be a part mm. of this. And a uh, chosen one, kind of. And it, I only know this in hindsight, but like, there's a lot of I've had a lot of experiences throughout my my church journey of wanting to be that chosen person for for any for anything really the importance of being noticed and appreciated was has been quite a big part of my religious journey uh, but basically we would get together maybe once a week and we would have a, a bible study and each of us would take turns in um, sharing bible study i remember i did one which in hindsight i thought was i think it's quite good like it's quite <laughs> I said some good things. Um, <laughs> yes, um, pretty good at blowing blowing. Up. 
and I remember getting a real thrill out of the the compliments that I received for my for my message that I shared. Uh, but we we used to we kind of encouraged this culture within this small group of being close and being able to share parts of our personal journey that we perhaps wouldn't share with other parts of the group. And I've very distinct. Like confessing your sins. Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, One very, one particular and very uncomfortable moment. (laughs) Oh God, it's cringy even when I think about it. We were just going around sharing about things that had been going on with us or things that just reflecting on what had been hard for us lately or something. And then one, one guy pops up. (laughs) It's like, um, so I've been having some, uh, some trouble with, um, impure thoughts and, uh, these impure thoughts are kind of leading me to, you know, do things that I don't think I should be doing. And, (laughs) Oh my god. <laughs> the I could like my heart just beats faster now thinking about the awkwardness. Um <laughs> and all of a sudden it was like as we mentioned last time, right? Guys, girls, we can't talk about these things together. So and one of the the older girls, she was like, Oh, you know what? I think we should probably leave. <laughs> and so she went out with the other the other couple of girls who were there and it was just the boys who we we had this very awkward conversation about without using the exact words about masturbation and um and porn but so so awkward that i came out the end of it not with with no practical knowledge about how to deal with those feelings or those actions at all (laughs) like i got nothing (laughs) nothing out of that so again avoiding all that sex ed talk it could have been constructive and it could yeah it could have been helpful but it was neither opportunity Missed opportunity. Like, seriously, could anything be handed on a platter yeah. <laughs> more easily? That must have been so that. brave of him, though, to 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 speak that, considering in in the Christian circles that oh, is not man. talked about. Like, that's so brave of him. Well, to that, and that was the, that. the next part of awkward, the awkward nature of the conversation, because everyone came back together again, and then they were talking about and how, like, how oh, you were so brave to share that with us, and I just want to, you know, it's just so amazing that we feel so comfortable to be able to share these things together. <laughs> He probably went home and cried because he felt so uncomfortable. <laughs> and all I was thinking was like, fuck, I've done those things, but I'm not going to talk about it. No. It's like, what is this thing you speak of? <laughs> yeah, because I'm totally innocent. I never have impure thoughts. <laughs> uh, yes. You, Bray, you mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about the about the whole speaking in tongues thing. And maybe, maybe just like explain what that is, because it's a, very weird concept yeah i guess for those people who haven't been in a religious in the religious world you may have heard the term speaking in tongues and basically it's a a language that uh christian people use to talk to god um heavenly language is what yeah yeah that's a heavenly language and when i was part of youth group this was something that I had said to my youth leader at the time, I said, look, I don't, I don't know how to do it. Like, I, and this was embarrassing for me. Like I should know. Well, cause there's um, a lot of pressure on, on, because it's, it's like you're a deficient, you have a deficiency yeah. if you, if you can't communicate in this heavenly language, because obviously any 
true Christian evangelical Christian should be able to do this. And if, and mm. if you can't, so, there's something that's holding you back. And, and I thought at the time that it was a reflection on my relationship with God. Like, has he not given me this ability or like, why is it that I cannot speak in tongues? And the advi- advice that was given to me was just to practice. And by practice, I mean, yeah. he, he, I'm not even kidding. Right. He told me to just start by saying, <laughs> this is so cringy. Like she be double Like it's laughable, right? But oh, this whole thing of speaking tongues, like I don't wanna I'm not gonna bash it too much because this is important for many people. <laughs> uh, but it is nuts. Like it's, everyone is basically making these weird noises and everyone claims that it's a that they're speaking in this language that the God and the angels can understand that the concept is so out of this world. It's out the gate. It really is. Oh man, it's nuts. And so it was quite weird. So when I'm at home, you know, as being a a good child and reading my Bible and I was practicing speaking in tongues and it, it sounded so weird to myself. Like I was like, this is what I've been told to do. I'll just keep doing it and then maybe it'll come more naturally. And I kind of ran out of like shebe doobies to say like, <laughs> like how many times can you say shebe doobie and think, what am I saying to God? <laughs> like, I'm sure I hope that God's listening really closely. <laughs> it's like, I hope you can translate this God. Cause I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but it just, yeah, it got to the point where it became more fluent if you like. And so you were encouraged to do it in church, you know, in those moments during worship where they sort of just play instrumental music and that's your chance to to speak in this language to God. And yeah, it was. And and then I remember feeling quite like, like I didn't want people to judge my version of the language. Like (laughs) what if they thought I was talking rubbish? Well, obviously (laughs) I was, but. I mean, everyone's talking rubbish. Yeah. It all sounds different. I was worried about that judgment, but I was like, this is how I've been taught. So I'm just going to carry on. It's basically like jazz scatting, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because I I mean, from memory, this happened to you before me because I couldn't and I, I don't, even just it's weird to talk about the concept of not being able to speak a <laughs> gibberish yeah. language. Like to someone who's not been brought up in this way, like I, when I speak yeah. to my partner about this, he's like, what When you're outside hell? the bubble, it's so hard to understand. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's an integral part finds it mind-blowing. of being, um, an evangelical Christian. And no one ever says anything directly to make you feel like you're not good enough. But it's so implied. So, if, for example, you might get someone up on the stage saying, all of those who can speak in tongues, speak out now. And yeah. let's believe that we're going to break down the walls of yeah. someone such and such. And so all of a sudden you're the only one who's not. And so yeah. you just kind of. But now, like, I've heard this from uh, lots of people and you realize actually a lot of people were just making it up. <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, and, and I I couldn't do it for probably a couple of years um, after I left that church. Mm. And I thought I was, there was something really wrong with me. Mm. Um, God had abandoned me or I just wasn't good enough for God to put this, because it's a gift yeah. in the Bible. It's a gift, <clears throat> the gift of tongues. There's a lot of theological stuff 
that we could talk about, but this is not really the forum for it. Mm. Um, but it's um, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's a weird thing to mm. uh, understand. And uh, kind of one of the other weird things about church, which a lot of people talk about all the time, when all the thing the things that they don't get about religion is tithing, right? Mm. And t- tithing is a, lot of it's a core tenant of Christianity. It's you giving 10% of your earnings. And, and there are all sorts of different theological debates about what that 10% actually means. And again, this is not the forum for it. But all we can really say from the perspective of this conversation is that that was also something else that was kind of pushed on us. And so our parents have been very strong on this. And we had to, looking, all the money that we had, we had to give. Looking back, though, right, this was from our church journey and when we were younger, like in the 90s, our parents giving 10% of their wage. Like, we were not a well-off family. I have memories of mum putting wads of cash into a little envelope to give to the treasurer. And I remember seeing it and being, like, gobsmacked. Like, you know, we weren't the kind of family that could have bought lunches for instance or mm. you know we never went to mcdonald's or we never or had we nice very rarely things. ate out no mum like, yes, would take sandwiches to yeah <laughs> even to restaurants and pull out a sandwich like we had lots of cool things but there was we weren't without but we definitely were not a well-off family yeah and i remember th- like looking back i'm like that was a lot of money for them to be giving and and we were encouraged too because we were given a little bit of pocket money and we were encouraged to give 10% of that too, which I remember thinking like, no, I don't want to give my money. I earn yeah. this. Um, well, because the other thing with church and not really in these early years for me, but when, when I got into larger churches, there was even more pressure to give beyond that. Mm. So you're not just giving 10%, you're giving, you're not, they're not saying give more, but they're saying just let God decide how much yeah. to give at with the clear infer, inference read between the lines that he's probably going to tell you. Yeah, and and some people would, and then there'd be extra offerings on top of those normal tithing offerings, mm-hmm. giving to special projects or things like that. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it does seem, and I, and I, and I see it now after not being in church for a while, that it does seem like that religion is obsessed with money. Mm-hmm. There's, there's much more to it that than that. You, you can't just look at it as a surface level um they just want money because it's it's because it's such a core part of of christianity it's it's more complex than that Mm. Um, but yeah that pressure existed for us but when but when you outside of the church like we are now looking back it's it's a hard pill to swallow when you see you know for instance the pastors driving a nice car because you know their congregation are giving so much of their money towards you know, some people don't have much at all. Like, it should really just be if you want to give, you know, yeah. put in I, what you can. I and mean, if you can't, that's okay. You know, yeah. it's about your heart. And I think that the church has probably moved more in that direction now, to be honest, depending on the church that you're a part of. But um, at least for us growing up, it was very legalistic in those terms uh, around money. And I, I don't know about you, but I still at this stage in my life wasn't questioning anything. Like, I I don't no. think I would have been questioning these rules of religion or even the rules that mum and dad had for us no. because well, I, I, was, I was always that good boy, right? Mm. And it wasn't until I left home that, I'd, that I saw anything else. 
Mm. So even even when some of my friends were doing questionable activities uh, when I was young, I probably was more likely to judge them for being oh, bad people than being tempted to do it on you know myself. But I think that's our we would hear our parents judging them or their families or the way their parents would parent our friends and you know and that's where yeah. the rules of you're not allowed to hang out with those people anymore came because you know they are getting up to questionable um or their morals are questionable or whatever um yeah. so we were cut off from some people actually it sounds silly but um sometimes we would only be allowed supervised visits with some people like you know we weren't allowed to hang out with them without our parents being there um yeah um not not like you know can we hang out with so-and-so oh no not unless I'm there it was just a a feeling that you know they weren't allowed to Mm. yeah we weren't allowed to hang out together alone with them because we might be influenced by their their morals or lack of yeah yeah I think yeah there's there's a lot more to say in in different chapters about how this um like this whole religious part um, affected us. And as we became adults, I think it's, and started making our own decisions, uh, it, it took on a different weight to it. So mm. I think we'll probably save most of the content for that, for, um, for that part of the podcast. But as we're talking about our teenage years, if I just bring it back to, you know, when you, you're about 16, 17, when you're thinking about well, not thinking about you're about to leave school and kind of head off into the adult growing up world and starting to think about what you want to do when you leave school. And I was always very set on what I wanted to do. Um, from a young age, I was going to be a pilot. So even through primary school, I was obsessed with flying. And it's not like I'd actually flown only a handful of times, um, but I started doing actually, flying. Uh, I'll interrupt you there because it just triggered a memory of Part of why we went to the South Island when we did was because of the Wanaka Air Show, because you were oh, obsessed right, with yeah. flying. I think, yeah, I think we went twice, actually, but, didn't we? To the yeah, Wanaka and that show. was a big, a big, big event. Um, yeah, I don't know why I forgot that. Yeah, that was huge. Mm, There's like mm, a... That was um, probably more for Warbirds you. over Wanaka, yeah. like some of the, the... Well, it was the biggest one in Australasia at that time, at least, for mm. um, old old world war planes and, and jets and stuff. It was pretty amazing. Even, actually. even I enjoyed that, you know, I, and I wasn't, I found the war stuff boring that you're obsessed with, but even I re- thoroughly enjoyed that. And we even got to fly in a DC 10, oh, I think, or DC yeah. three. Anyway, yeah. big, big old um, plane. Mm, it was yeah. pretty cool. Um, so, um, I mean, I was, I think I've touched on before. I was obsessed with war and obsessed with history and things like that. Uh, but at that stage, that didn't really have any impact on what I wanted to do. After I left school, I, I was just obsessed with being a pilot. And all through my primary years, early teenage years, wanted to do that and started doing um, flying lessons at the age of... You were 12. 12, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you um, were 12. And uh, very, very lucky to get that experience. So Super, super lucky. I mean, that was <laughs> cool that mum and dad supported that dream you know we're willing because yeah. back then i mean i i don't know how much the lessons were but they wouldn't have been cheap um they were about from memory it was around about 70 dollars per lesson which is but quite that, cheap by a, today's standards but back yes, then it would have been a lot. yeah it would have been a big investment for them you know yeah for your so I, the, the problem was is that they kept there were long gaps in between each lesson because i guess 
looking back now, they just couldn't afford to do it all the time. And I just, I don't know, I didn't really get anything. <laughs> I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't progressing because I had such long um, time between lessons. And it's crazy to I, think that a 12-year-old was flying a plane, though. <laughs> yeah, and I did it all the way up until 14, 15, and I was old enough to go solo, but I just didn't have enough confidence or experience to to do that. And then I, around about the age of 14, my eyes deteriorated quite badly um, to the fact that to the point where I could barely see the board or read my books or anything. So I had to get contact lenses and, and that basically changed my life forever. And I, I couldn't become a pilot anymore. And, and you found that quite life changing. Uh, I mean, massive, massive change mm-hmm. and quite late in development to be having to switch up ideas yeah. um, for things to do. And I just was really lost for about a year. Probably one of the reasons why I was saying to you, offline how when I was 15 I was quite depressed very unhappy and it was probably connected with that because I just lost all sense of purpose about what I wanted to do then I had a a friend go to teachers college and um, it just seemed like something that I could probably do and so I just latched onto that it was just the easiest thing because I I wasn't the type of person who who could just kind of make things up as I went along I was I needed a plan (laughs) <laughs> desperate for a plan and but you're also quite academic for, so that probably suited your personality at the time like it probably felt a natural progression yeah and I, I knew that I, I wanted to go to uni and um I I was very I don't know I found school not easy is not the right word but I didn't find school challenging because I was just as we discussed it was all reading and books and stuff and I was very good at that and um, I, sc- I scored very well um, through that um, ACE school system. And I definitely wanted to go to uni and just going to teachers college was the first thing I could think of to become a teacher. Uh, I had no real interest in it, but um, yeah, it was just, I just kind of grabbed onto it because it was there. Mm. I mean, what about you? Because we didn't really talk much about this at the time. Mm. Even at home, we didn't talk about it a lot. No. I guess for me, um, I mean, I I went into early childhood education. I wasn't academic at school and I struggled through school, even though it was easy in terms of reading, like I was good at reading. I just, I don't know, I struggled. I would have loved to have been a vet, like that was probably my big dream, but I just didn't have the academic marks to, to follow through with that at all. I wasn't good at science or maths, which is obviously two of the main things you need to be a vet. But my other passion was children, and I, from a very young age, did you know babysitting, and and that was something that people always used to say to me, oh, you should be a teacher, or you should look after kids. So it was just kind of almost drilled into me from a young age. So when it came time to choosing, when I left school, I didn't have the confidence to go to uni because I already struggled at school. So I just kind of, looking back now, I wish I'd just pushed through those fears and done it anyway but I ended up going to to nanny school down in Wellington to train to be a nanny which Mm. has served me well over the years you know I've traveled sort of around the world doing that but um I wish that I had the Bachelor of Teaching yeah so I, I left home obviously a bit earlier than you did and um was desperate to get out um and I think probably that those last from 16 to 17, all I thought about was being anywhere but in around Kitty Kitty and in that that little world that we had. 
absolutely desperate to leave. Mm. And I w- had a very, um, what's the word? I, I suppose it was all the books that I was reading, but my mind was was all over the place. You know, I had all these adventures that I wanted to have and all the places I wanted to see. And I just felt like being at home was just holding me back. And it was about this time, I guess, you and I diverged a lot. Like we didn't really talk much in those last couple of years, I don't think. And certainly when you left home, I we weren't really communicating at all. So, I, so it'd be really. So our next episode is going to be um, about leaving home. And yeah, I, f- I feel like that's a whole other story because we've got lots to, to talk about. There's a lot to talk year. about. There's a, probably a lot that I don't know about as mm. well. And but I, I have to say, though, when you left home, because how old were you? You 17? 17, yeah. 17, so I would have been like 15, 16, because we used to fight a lot at home and, you know, that was competitive siblings and I was pretty mean. <laughs> I was brutal. We, we had, okay, <laughs> just, if we could just like talk about this for a second. We had some full-on fights like you know people talk about siblings um arguing or hating each other like we were all out war all out war and we were we we're pretty conniving I, me being the good boy if i was going to um do anything i had to be really conniving about it and really <laughs> and there are some pretty funny stories of of the ways that i got you in trouble or whatever um and managed to get away with it but i mean you were a pretty horrible (laughs) i mean i was a bitch basically but it was usually like you weren't so understanding when i took your cds or your comics i just wanted to read them you could have been more accommodating (laughs) (laughs) i mean you didn't ask you just took them (laughs) yeah because you wouldn't want me to have them anyway you know we had lots of we just did not get on at home anyway and like i'm talking punching as well like physical fighting one particular memory of you throwing a throwing a hairbrush at my head and then knocking out a tooth. <laughs> yeah, while you had braces, yeah. And also, like, I have a memory of you running down the stairs, like, Mac 10, and I was trying to grab – you didn't have a T-shirt on, and I grabbed you, and I just left claw marks down your back. Yes, and I do bleeding. remember that. Oh, God. <laughs> but you were the kid that would always be like, Mom, Bray's done this to me. I just very, very like, clearly remember not. screaming at you <laughs> well, and then coming inside and then screaming at mum and dad saying, why did you have to have a girl? <laughs> I didn't know you said that. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, was pretty dark, that. Days, dark days. <laughs> but where I was going with that was that when you left home, it was weird. It was like something changed. And then, like, we didn't really talk when you were awake. So, did we have phones then? Um, I think at I, the, I, right at the end. So my last year of school, um, I got a phone. I was quite resistant. You got one before I did. I, I think those I was Alcatel. 15. Yeah, those real old school um, Alcatel phones. We had to click three times to get to the letter you wanted. And the, um, the screen was about, I don't know, three inches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if we were texting while, or anything while you are away, but um, when I remember you coming home, like driving from Tauranga back up, which was like a six hour drive. You'd yeah, get back at like midnight and we'd stay up talking till really late. Um, you know, you talk about the girls you met and what things were happening in Tauranga. So I, okay, feel like I don't remember become, those conversations. So please I, try I, <laughs> for I, the next episode, save them. 
I, I don't remember specifics, but I do remember waiting up late for you to arrive back home so we could catch up. So I don't. Yeah, the, the relationship definitely definitely changed. Um, yeah. In yeah, very but interesting. I, I don't know what it was. <clears throat> Maybe we just needed that space apart. Well, all and of a sudden, I became like an adult, as people do when they leave home. Um, very interesting time, and I don't, like I don't want to get too much into it now because that would be spoiling it for the next episode. But there's a lot of good content there in those those uni years for sure, and a lot of stuff that we haven't really talked about before. So that would be quite um, an interesting time of life to to cover. To be honest, I'll, like I'll be honest, my uni years were pretty vanilla. So <laughs> just preparing everyone <laughs> for that. Um, but yours perhaps are a little bit more interesting than mine. Yeah, I, don't, I know. I, th- I think lots happen for you. They might seem vanilla, but I think that was quite a poignant time in your life where lots you learned a lot. Oh, yeah, there's a lot, about, of, lot, of, lot yeah. of drama, yeah. different kind of drama. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but lots to unpack there, but we'll save yeah. that for another day. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, we'll, we'll probably finish it there and then we'll pick up on those whole leaving home saga and then perhaps we'll chat a little bit about what you were doing when i was at uni and then and then uh, vice versa thanks everyone for joining us uh for this episode and tune in congratulations if you've made it this far oh congratulations (laughs) congratulations to us seriously (laughs) (laughs) it's getting better it's getting easier so um hopefully it sounds better but (laughs) i don't know i'm crossing my fingers as i say this (laughs) that the quality is improving Anyway, thanks for joining us, and um, we will see you again next time. Thanks. Kakite.